146 abortion restrictions, including 146 abortion bans across the United States. Yeah, the Lord's answering prayers. So 61 of those restrictions have been enacted in 13 states, including eight bans. More than 500 pro-life bills have been introduced at the state level so far this year. And apparently on Wednesday, the heartbeat bill was passed in the Senate and the House of Texas. Yay. Praise the Lord. Yeah, so grateful for that. And then I want to read to you, um, remember we've mentioned a little bit the revivalist Sean Fote who's going around the country holding worship revivals. And when they got in trouble for having worship revivals, they named them worship protests so they wouldn't get in trouble, remember? And everyone could come without masks because they were a protest. So he's continued to do this uh, worship revivals around the states and Many are getting born again. Many are being baptized to water. Many are being filled with the Spirit and healed of various things. So that's happening on one front. There are some other revival movements happening on other fronts. And so, you know, if we only watch the news, we only hear the bad news. But there's so much good going on. The Lord is doing so much. So I wanted to read to you some of what Sean Fote put out at one of his worship revivals this week. I think it was on May 7th. He was exhorting the body of Christ to engage in spiritual warfare through prayer and worship. And since we've been talking about the armor of God in the last two weeks, I thought it was appropriate to mention some of what he said. He said, America is facing an identity crisis. And this is because the church in America is facing an identity crisis. We are torn between two options, to fearlessly follow the God who redeemed us, or to serve the whims of the current culture. As the church goes, so goes the nation. We've been a nation locked down, divided, intimidated, and marginalized with unrelenting narratives of fear, paranoia, and hopelessness. We've endured and are enduring a global pandemic, historic violence, racial strife, civil unrest, and economic instability. Everywhere you turn, there is bad news. In my state of California, Sean says, the church has been deemed non-essential by those who have no fear of the Lord. Godless politicians have commanded us to forsake gathering together. They've commanded us not to sing in worship. They've demanded that we give up our duties as believers to be the hands and feet of Christ, to forego holy communion, and to hide in fear. Too many did, and the world suffered. Suicide rates exploded across many cities in America. Alcoholism, drug use, and the abuse of prescription drugs are at critical levels. Families have been separated by distance and quarantine regulations. The strain of this season has severely damaged many strong marriages. And as you know, sex trafficking has also been on the increase as a result. In a time when Americans needed hope the most, and our only connection was through the internet, Big Tech said Bible verses are offensive content on social media platforms, and many of our live worship and prayer gatherings were censored and in some cases erased altogether from Facebook and Instagram. 
We know that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the spiritual realm, Ephesians 6.12, like we looked at last week. Because this is a spiritual battle, we must fight with spiritual weapons. Our greatest weapon in this battle is prayer and worship. It is time for the church in America to rediscover who she is and what God can do through a church devoted to Him. If God be God, we must follow Him, though all the world come against us. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We cannot stop praying. We must not stop worshiping. For 2,000 years, the church has gathered, prayed, and worshiped through pandemics and persecution. We must do that today. Let's emerge from this pandemic stronger and wiser. Let's not be tricked by the world into hiding our light under a bushel. Let's not allow politicians to keep us from gathering, praying, and worshiping the God who saved us. We have been silent too long. Let us commit that 2020 will be a new beginning for the body of Christ. We will be a bold church, unafraid to serve God in a hostile culture. Let's shake off the influence of those who would have us shrink back and stay silent. Let's worship our God no matter what happens. Let's step into our God-given authority in prayer. So I thought that was good enough to share. We do need to stand up. Times will likely not get easier, and so we as the church need to rise up in boldness and be the church that God has called us to be. Amen. And then I would like to, uh, to pray for some of our people, and I also want to introduce a couple of visitors today. Eva, who came in with you? This is Kara Hey, good to have you with us. Thank you for coming. So good to have you. We have Kay and Dave Toole up here sitting with my mom where they're not really full-time visitors. They're full-time friends. No, many, many years. Anyone else here for the first time or second or third time and haven't been here in a while? Except Peggy Lively, I guess. Okay, great. I think you probably mostly got the email about Marilyn Scott. They moved her to New Braunfels, because she has dementia pretty severely now, she was very confused for a couple of days. And then she began to interact with the people in the home and everything looked good until she fell and broke a hip. So she had surgery, I think Friday, and they gave her a partial replacement. She did good through the surgery. Now they're going to move her into a rehab. And and it looks good, looks like she'll recover, but I'm just concerned for her mentally because that's yet another change with another new people and another new home within one week. So we want to pray for Marilyn Scott. Also, Alan Wood, who's battled with cellulitis now for a few months and still is battling. We need to pray for Alan. So glad that his wife and daughter are here with us today. And is there any, I think I wrote someone else here. Brad, did you get any kind of report? Okay. To MD Anderson. Okay. All right. Donna Jacobs still struggling to breathe very well with her lungs. John Jacobs is getting over his knee replacement. Bunny is still getting over her knee replacement. She's still in rehab. It's just taking her longer because of other health issues that she battles through. It's good to keep praying for her. 
Anyone else we need to be praying for? Tonight, the Muslims, I think beginning from about 3 a.m. Um, until noon tomorrow, this is the end of their Ramadan season. I hope you've been praying for the Muslims to have visitations from Jesus himself. And that's what we're going to specifically pray for now because they are praying for God to reveal himself to them. And so this is a critical day for them. They're crying out to God. So let's cry out on their behalf as well that the Lord reveal himself to them. They say, they say he comes as a, as a man in white. And from there, they find out that he's the Messiah of God. And they many times get saved. So we're praying for that. Okay, if you'll join with me, then let's let's pray for all these. Eva, you raise your hand. Yeah, there's been a lot of rioting on the Temple Mount. They, a lot of them, um, they were called by some of their head people to be on the Temple Mount all overnight and to attack anyone who comes up there. So there's much going on in Israel. They're about to start a whole month of simulated um, wartime, actually, against the terrorist groups that are coming against them. So some people are saying we're moving closer and closer to a World War III. Some people say we've already entered into it, but it's a Cold War and it hasn't really blown out of proportion yet. I don't know about all that. But it's always good to pray for Israel and the people of God, and we need to be praying for the Muslims too. So it's a great day for that. Okay, so let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come to you in praise for all the victories for pro-life that have been taking place this year. Thank you, Lord, for the bills that have been passed, for the bans that have been put in place. Thank you for the heartbeat bill here in, in Texas. Thank you that we have a pro-life governor. Lord, we bless him today in Jesus' name. Thank you for the legislature you've given us. Lord, we also want to pray for our national leaders and legislatures that they would make decisions that are based on the word of God, that the fear of God would come upon them, that you would lead them in everything they choose to do and everything they choose to sign over into law. Lord, would you give uh, Mr. Biden your, your strength and your your ability to discern the times that we live in and to make right judgment calls. We pray for his family for salvation. We pray for the Harris family for salvation, for the Pelosi family and the Schumer family for salvation. Lord, how we need a move of God in this nation. We need these revivals that are taking off. Lord, we pray for more revivals, more citywide revivals and a nationwide revival. We pray that we as a nation will come back to you, that we will walk in the fear of God and that we will love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, we pray that you're not finished with America, that you will still use us in your purposes, that you still have a plan for this nation. So we pray for that. We pray for the destiny of America to fit right into your heart and right into your plan. Lord, we lift to the, um, your, co your first covenant people, the Jewish people. We pray for protection for them. Lord, the recent terrorism that's been increasing, the wars that they, they believe that are right on their borders, Lord, would you strengthen them in their decisions? Would you especially be with these young soldiers? Help them to be wise in how they deal with, with terrorism. Pray for protection over every one of their lives. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the peace of Israel. 
We pray for the, um, the Palestinians that are aimed for attack. Lord, would you intercept them with the man in white? I pray they would see Jesus and they would come to a knowledge of him being their Messiah. They would come to salvation. We pray that for all the Muslims that are crying out to you now, not, actually not to you, but to their God. But Lord, would you intercept those prayers? And would you reveal Jesus to them? We pray that within the next 24 hours, many Muslim people will see Jesus and will be saved. Lord, have mercy on their souls. Such a huge segment of people living in deception on their way to an eternity without you. Lord, we plead with you for their salvation. And Lord, we lift you, our brother Alan. Would you heal his leg? Would you heal his foot? Would you eradicate this infection, infection out of his body in the name of Jesus? Pray extra strength for him. I pray his immune system will be strengthened and his own body would fight this illness in the name of Jesus. Pray for Marilyn Scott and ask the Lord for a rapid healing, for a quick decrease of pain. Pray that she get through rehab well. Lord, would you calm her? Would you calm her anxieties? Would you give her a sound mind to be able to make these changes without panicking? We pray your peace, your peace, Lord, to her spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name. And we pray for those that are recovering from replacements, knee replacements, hip replacements, those that have problems breathing, those that are dealing with COVID or with um, reactions to having had COVID and still having some of that consequences. Lord, we as your people need your healing. And we thank you that you're Adonai Rofe, that you extend your hand and you release your healing. You are the God who heals us. And so we declare your healing over us today. We want to be the army of God declaring the word of the Lord. And part of that is declaring your healing. And so we do that. Thank you, Lord, that you have safely brought us together this morning. I pray for those who are not able to come, those who are sick in body, those who are out of town. Would you keep themselves? Would you presence yourself with all of them? And now, Lord, would you speak to us through your daughter, Peggy? I pray your anointing would rest upon her that your word that dwells in her richly would rise up and that she would have a word in season for us. Lord, we, we tune our ears to hear from the voice of God through your servant this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave as, as you exit, the prayers we prayed last week, praying through the armor of God, we'd really like you to take these home and be praying through the armor of God as part of your regular prayer life. So most of them are still there. You can pick them up on your way out. There's also some of the main magazines of Mature Living and, and some magazines on the Persecuted Church, if you want to pick those up and be praying that way. Peggy, so good to have you. Come on up. Well, good morning. I feel very honored to be here with you all this morning. And as Janet said, I've been on staff now just for about five months, and it's been such a blessing for me to serve the Lord here at Highland. Um, just to tell you a little bit about myself and my family, I think there's a picture there. I have four young adult children. They're ages uh, 24, uh, Jared's 24, Austin's 22, Carrie is 19, and Nathan is 18. Um, so that's our family, and my husband, Mike, just walked in the back here. We've been married for 27 years, and, and this is our family. 
And so being Mother's Day today, it, being a mother has been one of the greatest privileges and blessings of my life. But along with it has been some of the most difficult and most challenging days of my life as well. And just to share a little bit about our story, our oldest son, Jared, has struggled with drug addiction for over the last eight years. So he has been in and out of jail five times, and he has been in rehab twice. And he actually is currently in rehab. He was arrested about two months ago and was mandated by the court uh, for six months of inpatient rehab. But the good news is he is doing incredibly well, and God has really captivated his heart. Uh, but it has been a really long, painful journey over the last eight years. So what I want to share with you this morning that what I felt led to share is just how do we have peace in really difficult, painful circumstances? And first and foremost, of course, um, any other kind of peace comes from peace in our relationship with God. We have to have peace with God first before we can have any other kind of peace. And peace with God comes through a, re a covenant relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that our relationship with God is the foundation for any other kind of peace. So I'm going to look at two ways that we can have peace this morning, and then I'm going to look at three mindsets that might be obstacles to our peace. So looking at Isaiah 26.3, it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because he trusts in you. We must fix our minds on God and not our circumstances in order to have peace. So my first point is that a mind fixed on God will be at peace. There's another translation of that verse that says, Perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. And I really liked the way that was worded, saying our imaginations are consumed with God, because our imaginations can run wild, and they can lead us to all kinds of fears and anxieties. So it's really important, as we've been learning in this Change Your Mind series, to take every thought captive. Because if our thoughts are left unchecked, they can lead to all kind of negative and destructive emotions. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Again, if we don't take our thoughts captive, it's very likely they will take us captive. And they can immobilize us in fear. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the way that we love the Lord with our mind is by focusing our minds on him and who he is and who his character is that, uh, in, that we find based upon his word. So what is it that consumes your thoughts? It might not even be anything negative or sinful, but is it taking your focus off of the Lord and robbing you of your peace? I found after years of praying earnestly and fervently for our son that I was convicted that even in my prayers and going to God in my prayers, my focus was not on God. My focus was on my son. 
and I had to really retrain my mind to focus on God and his character as opposed to focusing on my son. And it was really difficult, and, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. But through doing that and refocusing my mind on God and who he is, it brought me so much peace. Uh, the second part of Isaiah 26.3 says that you will keep him in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So my second point in how we can acquire peace is that trusting God's sovereignty is the foundation for our peace. Fully trusting God means believing that he is sovereign and he has a greater plan no matter what. There was a season where I just had to continually repeat to the Lord, I trust you. I had a lot of questions and I didn't have any answers and I would just continually affirm to him that I trust you. I would say things like, Lord, I have no idea how you're going to work this out, but I trust you. I don't know how long this is going to take, but I trust you. I don't know how you're going to bring good out of this circumstance, but I trust you. And in continuing to do that, I was declaring it to the Lord, but I was also affirming it in my own heart that I trust him. Psalm 46.10 says to be still and know that I am God. And I felt like he was saying to me in that verse, be still and trust me. Ken Geyer in his book, The Weathering Grace of God, says in times of upheaval, a voice from heaven says, be still and know that I am God. It doesn't say be still and know why. If we must have all our questions answered before we can move forward in our relationship with God, there will come a day when we won't move forward. We must trust his sovereignty even when we don't understand. Psalm 112, 6 through 8 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look and triumph over their foes. So again, it's the emphasis of the righteous will not have fear because they trust in the Lord. And when we do that, that's where we will have peace. So trusting in the, in the Lord is essential for our peace. I began to realize either I trust him or I don't. And when I realized I, I do really trust him, then what am I worried about? There became, I became to have great peace in knowing that I could trust the Lord and believe that he is sovereign over all things. Max Lucado says in his book, You'll Get Through This, he says, God is not sometimes sovereign, and he is not occasionally victorious. He does not occupy the throne one day and then vacate it the next. This season in which you find yourself may puzzle you, but it does not bewilder God. So we know that Romans 8.28 tells us that God can work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But that doesn't mean that everything is good. There are some really bad, awful, evil things that happen in our world. And it's okay to call it like it is. But we also need to trust and believe that what the enemy intends for evil, God can turn for good and work it together for good. Amen. I want to look a minute at Joseph's life. So if you want to turn to Genesis 45, I'm going to read some verses from there. 
So again, in reflecting on Joseph's life, he was thrown into a pit, he was, thrown, he was sold into slavery, falsely accused, and then thrown into prison. Genesis 45. <laughs> but if we look at Joseph's life when he is in prison, the devil had Joseph right where he wanted him, but so did God. It may look like the enemy has won, but we must trust and believe that God is working and he has a bigger plan. So when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he declares the sovereignty of God over and over. In Genesis 45, starting in verse 4, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. He's saying, Remember, you sold me into slavery. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So he said, you sold me into slavery, but God sent me. He's recognizing the sovereignty of God. And then continuing on for two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And Joseph continues, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. So three times Joseph recognizes and declares the sovereignty of God when his brother's intentions were for evil and the enemy's intentions were for evil, that God had a bigger more uh, sovereign plan and intended it for good. And then we have the example of Jesus on the cross, and he's the ultimate example. We see how he was falsely accused and beaten and was hanging on a cross. And at that moment, it looks like the enemy has won. The enemy had him right where he wanted him, but so did God. And that's what we have to remember when it looks like the enemy has won, that God is sovereign and he has a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. So again, there is great peace in fixing our minds on God and continually putting our trust in him. It's like he says, focus on me and trust me and I will give you peace. We have to remember that it is our faith, not our feelings, that will give us peace. I remember listening to a sermon um, by Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish preacher. And um, he was rushing into a service. He was visiting a church. And um, he sat down and he said the worship pastor got up. And the first thing he said is, how are y'all feeling today? And Alistair said he was so offended by that question. He said, how do I feel? I feel lousy. He said, I was running late. I couldn't find a parking place. I spilled my coffee. So I'm frustrated. I'm angry and I'm tired. And he said, but don't ask me how I feel. Tell me what I know. And so it doesn't mean that we ignore our feelings or we suppress them, but it just means that we're not consumed by them or immobilized by them. Because that very, can very easily happen when you're dealing with deep grief or pain. I can remember sitting in the parking lot at HEB one time, just sitting in my car and wondering if I, I could even go in and go to the store. 
So those moments, my, my feelings were so heavy with grief for my son that even doing the everyday activities was very difficult. But that's when we have to focus our minds on the Lord and who he is and not focus on how we feel, but what we know. So this is what I know. Through God's word, this is what I know. I know that my God can work all things together for good. I know that he has plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. I know that the Lord himself goes before me and he will be with me and he will not leave me or forsake me. And I know that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. And I know, I know, sorry, I'll wait. Yes, okay. And I know who, <laughs> I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So this is what I know. Focusing on God's word and the truth of his word is what I know. And it's a daily thing that we have to continually focus our mind on his word and not how we feel. Because one of the ways that the enemy will attack us is in our perseverance. It's very easy to have faith for a short period of time and to hold on and have an unshakable faith. But what happens when years go by and year after year as you pray and it doesn't seem like the Lord is answering, that's where the testing of our faith comes into play. Hebrews 12:1 tells us, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked before us. Um, I can remember reading Psalm 30 verse five, which says, Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I remember thinking this night feels like eternity long because it was six, seven, eight years. And that's really the test of our faith and our perseverance um, is holding on to that faith and persevering when the days seem very long. Because the more time that goes by, the enemy will tempt us to question and to doubt God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his promises. He will come alongside and whisper to us just like he did in the garden, and he will make us question, did God really say? Did he really make those promises to you? So the enemy will attack us in our perseverance and call us, uh, cause us to doubt when we become tired on the journey. But we must persevere in our faith. There is no other way to run the journey of our faith than with perseverance. And we all need to add perseverance to our faith. We're told in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, it says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So we're called to make every effort to add to our faith perseverance. So how do we do that? Want to look at a couple verses that tell us how. Romans 5.35 says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. James 1.3 tells us to consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So according to these verses, 
the way we get perseverance is through suffering, facing trials, and testing of our faith. So it's like it's a catch-22. You need perseverance to get through your trials, but it's through your trials that you get perseverance. But there's hope because perseverance is also a gift from God. Romans 15, 4 and 5 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now may God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another and one another accord to Christ Jesus. So he doesn't just leave us alone and give us trials and say, go get some perseverance. He comes alongside of us. He encourages us through the scriptures, and he gives us the encouragement that we need to continue on in our faith. So next, I want to look at some mindsets that might be obstacles to our peace. And the first one is, don't you care? When we're hurting deeply and we see loved ones suffering terribly, and we don't see God changing our circumstances, it's easy for us to begin to question, don't you care? The disciples asked this very question when they were in the middle of a storm. They were on the boat, and Jesus was sleeping on the boat when this terrible storm came up. And they went down, and they woke Jesus up, and the first thing that they asked him is, don't you care? So don't you care that we're about to die, and you're, you're sleeping, and you're not doing anything about it? So we tend to assume that God does not care if we don't see him change our circumstances. Martha asked the same question when she saw injustice. She was busy working and doing and serving the Lord and her sister Mary wasn't helping her. And the first thing she said to Jesus is, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm doing all the work and my sister isn't helping me? In fact, she even takes it a step further and she tells Jesus, do something about it. So it's a little, boy, a little bold. She says, tell her to help me. But we might not be as blatant in our, in our communication with the Lord, but this mindset of feeling like he doesn't care can cause us to be hurt and resentful. And once again, yes, we know that Jesus cares, and we can't focus on how we feel, but what we know. <laughs> so what does Scripture say? What do we know? 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Nahum 1, 7 says the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. John 15, 13 says greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. 1 John 4, 10 says this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are. So the, the scriptures tell us over and over and over that God cares very deeply for us, so much so that he sent his son to die for us. So when we begin to feel like God doesn't care, we need to go back to what the word says and what we know. So we must act upon not how we feel, but what we know. The second mindset that might rob us of our peace is that we deserve better. Somehow we begin to feel like if we've been faithful to the Lord and we've served him you know, all our lives and we've followed him and served him in ministry, that somehow he owes us 
And we might not, again, say that blatantly, but that's a mindset that society will feed us as well. I'm going to look at some verses in Luke 7. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read a few verses there. Luke 7. And again, this mindset will cause us to be bitter and ungrateful if we begin to feel like somehow we deserve better. I'm going to look at, in this passage, the centurion that um, came to Jesus and wanted him to heal his servant. And so he has sent his friends ahead of him to Jesus to ask him for this request on his behalf. So Luke 7, starting in verse 9, these people have come to Jesus on the centurion's behalf. And it says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. So there it is. He deserves this. Why? Because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. So the people are telling Jesus, this man deserves to have you do this miracle for him. But the centurion is saying, I don't even deserve to come to you in person. I've sent people on my behalf. And he says, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man of authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I tell this one to do this and he does it. Jesus said, I tell you, I have not found such great a faith even in Israel. So this man knew that Jesus could heal his servant. And um, he, but he also knew that he did not deserve it. He didn't even consider himself worthy to come to Jesus himself or have him come under his roof. So he had this beautiful balance of genuine humility, but incredible faith as he made his request. And the truth is that God doesn't owe us anything because he's already given us everything in his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32 says that he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? God has met our greatest need for salvation through his son, Jesus. He will also take care of our other needs, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. So the third mindset that I would like to look at that could rob us of our peace is that the answer might be no. As we pray earnestly and fervently for requests that we bring to the Lord over the years, thinking what if the answer is no can throw us into a panic of what ifs. We need to pray in faith, once again, trusting in the sovereignty of God and leaving room for his sovereignty to act. And what I mean by that is we need to pray as Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And I think it's important to understand that surrendering to God's will is not a lack of faith. I think sometimes we feel like we're supposed to believe and not doubt. And by saying your will be done, we're kind of giving a God a way out like you don't have to answer because <laughs> your will be done. P.S. Your will be done. But um, I want us to look at, at how Jesus prayed because praying your will be done is not a lack of faith. So I'm going to look in Matthew 26, if you want to turn there. Matthew 26, verse 
going to look at several verses there. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he comes to God in his deepest, deepest trial and suffering. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 38. It says, Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You talk about a moment when you can be immobilized by deep emotions. This is where Jesus is in this moment. He could have been immobilized in his emotions, but he focused on the Father and the Father's plan. Verse 20, uh, 2639 says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. Again, in 2642, it says he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. And again, in verse 44, it says he left them and he went away and once more he prayed a third time praying the same thing. So Jesus did not have a lack of faith, but he surrendered to his father's will. In fact, he declares boldly the sovereignty of God and proclaims his power and how he is able to rescue him from this moment. If you look at Matthew 26, verses 53 and 54, he says, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? So Jesus is proclaiming the power and authority of God and knowing that he is able to rescue him. And just for reference, a legion is about average 5,000. So 5,000 times 12, you're talking about 60,000 angels that Jesus is saying, my father could rescue me like that. He knew that his father could and he knew that he was able, but he also knew that he wasn't going to because he knew that his father had a greater purpose and a greater plan which was the salvation of our souls. I think that for me has been the most difficult thing in going through our trials is knowing that God is able, knowing that he can do the miraculous, but that he isn't. And that's where we have to trust in the sovereignty of God, that he has a better purpose and a better plan that we might not be able to understand. So in summary, Isaiah 26, 3, we need to fix our minds on Jesus and we need to put our trust continually in him. We need to trust the sovereignty of God, even when it looks like the enemy has won. And don't focus on how you feel, but on what you know to be true in God's word. So I'm going to close with two, two verses, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because he who promised is faithful. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you as the Prince of Peace. We thank you that you give to us not as the world gives, but you give us peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we pray that you would give us perseverance in our faith.
Help us to trust the sovereignty of God. We praise you and we worship you. And we thank you that you don't leave us or forsake us, but you come alongside us. You encourage us with the scriptures and you give us perseverance, Father. Thank you that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. We thank you that you did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.